0: Hello and welcome to the O3C end of 2023 special coming to you from O3C games my name is Jonathan Dunn and I'm joined by my friend Chris
1: Dow. Lem sipping and sliding away and we are chatting about video games. Ooh.
0: First of all thank you so much for all of you who are listening to the show and who have listened and supported the show over the last 12 months especially as we've gone through our big old whopping transition to a monthly podcast and uh, your patience <laughs> as we found our feet with the format for our show going forward we are absolutely thrilled to be on our around the world in 80 games odyssey now two destinations in the rearview mirror And uh, three more years of content stretching out ahead of us. Here we We go. We can do it. Be in our 40s by then. Oh, Christ. (laughs) That's, That's nice to think about, isn't it? That's worth thinking about. If you haven't already, please do sign up to our newsletter and join the O3C Discord. Links to both of those are on our website, o3c.games. Find us on social media at O3C Games on everything. Tell us what you're playing. Chat with us over the festive period. And feel free to uh, to drop us any questions or suggestions that you want to see us cover on the show in 2024. 12 months of gaming. We've done another 12 months, Chris. Uh, 12 laps around the sun. No, that's not it. 12 (laughs) 12 moons lapped around the earth, as it it is. Yeah, that's right. We've played a lot of games. We've played a lot of games between us. uh, We've done a lot of hours of gaming. Chris, you try and do 32 games a year, don't you? 52. Chris,
1: you try and do 52 games a year, don't you? I do. And 2023 is the sixth consecutive year that I've attempted to beat the reasonably ambitious 52 games in a calendar year. And originally that was a challenge that was tied to an online message board that I was frequenting basically because I could still access it at work. (laughs) Like it doesn't work anymore with my current school where I work now. So I can't do that in my downtime, but it is something I used to check in with. And for the last couple of years, that has also spiraled out now into its own feature for O3C.games as well onto our website, where kind of at the end of each cycle, I, I write a little mini review of each game that I got through and I log how many hours it took to beat and that sort of stuff. Critical here is that what it takes to beat a game might vary. Mm. So for some, I might aim to get all the achievements or trophies. For others, it might just be to reach the credits, and that's good enough. For a live service game, not that I'm playing many of those, but if that was applicable, there might be other metrics that I'll try and use to say, okay, I've got to a full stop. I've beaten something. Now, 2023 has been significant for two reasons. One, it's the first year that you have joined in my footsteps. Two clock, mm. fifty-two games over the course of the year, and for those a bit slow with their math, that is a game a week each week for an entire lap of the sun. That's a kuthwoloping rate. And number two, it's the first year that I have absolutely failed to hit the magic number, ending yet. In my five-year streak. Yes, no, yet. yet because at
0: point of recording, it's the eighteenth
1: yes. of December. That, is true. that is true. There's still time. There's still time. There is quite a gap to make up at the moment, which you'll hear about in a minute. So it might not be impossible. It could be improbable. But eagle-eyed fans of the show and eagle-eared listeners of the show will need to check the website in the new year to see the final tally. So Mm. how did you get on as the challenge newcomer? And what games exactly were you able to beat across the year of our Lord 2023? Here we go. Here we go. Vampire
0: Survivors, Sonic Frontiers, The King's Dungeon, Metroid Prime 1, Metroid Prime 2, Dead Space, Metroid Prime 3, (laughs) Metroid Prime Remastered, The Callisto Protocol, Farmside, Donkey Kong Country, Hogwarts Legacy, Dead Cells, Crano Origins, Resident Evil 4 Remake, Core Fault Times 2, but I'm only counting that as 1, Gatto Roboto, Forest Burns Up in Smoke, Saturday Edition, Bloom, Life's Too Short... Ratcheteer, Down the Oubliette. The Legend of Zelda. Tears of the Kingdom. Cranky Bird. The Legend of Zelda. Breath of the Wild Master Mode. Oh, Brotato. Blasphemous 2. Trash Quest. Sea of Stars. Eterna Noctis. Summer Materna. Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles. Shredder's Revenge. Cocoon. Lies of P. Gunbrella. EA Sports FC 24. Pokemon the Teal Mask DLC. Windowsill. Super Mario Wonder. Stars of the Screen. Fae Farm. Spider-Man 2, When right. the Past Was Around, Dave the Diver, Dark Souls 3, and Pokemon, the Indigo Disc
1: DLC. That's some meaty stuff in there. That's rid- It's ridiculous, isn't it? Knowing, obviously, we talk about this stuff each time we do a podcast, but knowing the number of hours you put into the Zelda duology. Yeah, well over 300. Knowing the number of hours that you put into Vampire Survivors. Yeah, 80. Knowing the time that you put into... You know any of the smaller AAA or, or big games like Liza P or Faye Farm or any of those kind of yeah like, moderate size releases as well. You have put the hours in.
0: Yeah, I did my Switch year in review, and on Switch alone, it was seven hundred and one hours.
1: Fucking hell, that's that's a long time. It is, that is isn't a it? seriously long time. So
0: that's forty-seven. Forty-seven,
1: 47 I, and ah. I've still
0: got I've still got some stuff. On the go, and I reckon I might be able to do fifty-two by the end of the year. I, so I am going to try. I'm going to try. I think you will, and it makes yeah. me upset
1: a little bit. It makes me happy that you've enjoyed playing games, and it makes me upset that as the rookie, you have beaten me this year because I am, I'm not close. I'm not close. What about you? Would you like to hear the list? I'd I'm love to hear the fly list, Chris. It. The King's Dungeon, Babylon's Fall, Telltale's The Walking Dead, Michonne, Luna's fishing Garden, Tapeworm Disco Puzzle, Nasty, Monster Jam, Crush It. Alien Cats 2, Doodle World, Anguna, Warriors of Virtue, Fish and Feathers, Alter Ego, Dreamwalker, Canon, Legend of the New Gods, Shadows of the Damned, Adulting, exclamation mark, Romeo and Julie Cat, Trash Quest, Hungry Shark World, Tetris slash Megatris, I counted them together because they were so short, Plants vs Zombies, Daily Daddish, Super Mario Land 2, 6 Golden Coins, DX, Vampire Survivors, Laser Cat, laser cats halloween dead venture beautiful mystic survivors Escape collection which i could have counted as about eight different games but i'll put it in one tetris tetris full void x01 rusty lake hotel submerged fishing vacation deep space waifu tetris 99 and rusty lake roots which was 37 a measly 37. yeah
0: that's not bad a lot of tetris though isn't
1: it it is and tetris 99 was what i was saying at the beginning about a live service game you can't beat that but i have beaten all of the special cups this year to unlock all the themes so i thought that's all the new content there has been so i added up the 25 30 hours i played it for and said that's that's your lot you're having a completion for that as well
0: i mean unfortunately for me the latest completion the pokemon dlc is uh, without a doubt the worst stuff i've played this year really i mean weirdly i still feel utterly compelled to play through them both despite yeah. them being dreadful additions to a dreadful base game. I mean, I think I said about Scarlet and Violet, uh, like the ambition is there and there are like so many great ideas and genuine improvements to the core Pokemon game. Yeah. But clearly Game Freak have only been given just a a tiny fraction of time or budget or both to realize that it's it's a gopping mess. And like the baffling thing about, certainly about this new game is that they're still introducing new mechanics that just make it, just perform even worse yeah like you can now freely fly around the map oh good and it's like what do you think that's going to do to the frame rate and the pop-in and the horrifically ugly textures it just makes it all the more glaring it made me think earlier you know the scenic railway (laughs) yes the the oldest wooden roller coaster that's at dreamland in margate
1: yeah
0: it's like it feels like that which is where you just feel the foundation of it it's got no integrity. You just feel that it's like it's barely holding anything together. Yeah. But then it's like somebody goes, you know what? Fuck it. Let's put a loop the loop on it. <laughs> Might as well. Uh, yeah. I appreciate the ambition, but Love ambition. It's, uh, it doesn't feel safe. <laughs> mm. <laughs> it doesn't feel safe. I mean, goodness yeah. knows what the future of that series is going to look like. I just really hope that they do take time to develop whatever's next because even if like the switch 2 comes out you know next year that's not that's not going to solve the problem no because give them some time and some money and resources it's the way of working that clearly needs to change yeah it's a shame because like i said the ambition is there the vision is there and i I do not think it's game freak's fault
1: at all it's just the the fat cats the greedy fat cats if that was one of the worst things you played this year should we Mm. talk about some good stuff So we wrap up the year with some positivity. Let's do that. Let's absolutely do that. Now, obviously, neither of us are
0: gamers who are massively champing at the bit to play the very latest releases, you know, the big marquee AAA titles. So we're probably the worst equipped podcast to talk about the actual games of 2023. That's right. There are some exceptions. And we're going to talk about some of our favorite 2023 releases. And I'm going to start in a fairly obvious place, which is with Legend of Zelda Tears of the Kingdom. That's good, isn't it? It's a very, very good game. And I've I've said so much about this game already, not just on the main podcast here, but in the spoiler specials I've been dealing with Casper, covering every inch of this game. We've done three of those of a planned Two parter, uh, and we're probably not even halfway through covering uh, no. what we want to with that game, and we, we're 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 planning on on <laughs> on continuing those next year as well. I really like the idea of it being episode three of two. <laughs> yeah, yeah, but I'm still baffled at how incredible the game is. It's not just that it elevates everything from Breath of the Wild to a whole new level. It's not just that it's got the most brain bafflingly extraordinary mechanics in the game that literally makes any other sandbox game pale in comparison it's not that they've developed the world so incredibly well not only like thematically and narratively but topographically with the sky and the depths and the caves the game still looks absolutely outstanding it performs outstandingly well yet it's not got like flawless 60 frames per second but none of that ever stands in the way of your experience like it's the polar opposite of pokemon in that respect where it's just they've clearly just taken the time and it shows what you can achieve on such a low-powered console if given that time and you know the right support and i'm sure budget it's the best gameplay experience you can get in a game it really is and to top it all off it's wrapped up in the most incredibly epic story that truly delivers on 30 years of storytelling in this series and for the first time properly justifies the title of The Legend of Zelda. It is just extraordinary stuff. It really is. I'm so gutted that you haven't played it through to (laughs) completion, so I can probably talk about it with you. Yeah, like I never thought I'd play through Breath of the Wild again because it was so unfathomably big to tackle. And I'll tell you why that hasn't turned out to be true in a little bit. (laughs) But I really do think that Tears of the Kingdom is just too big a task to start afresh. It feels too overwhelming to start 220 hours of gaming again. But... I'm sure you will. If they do a next-gen upgrade for Switch 2, I'll probably play it again. If they happen to include like a master mode or something as part of that, I'll be jumping on that quicker than a pig would jump on a shit. (laughs) But also, give it five years, I'm going to want to play it again.
1: Yeah. What 2023 stuff have you played? Well, I didn't finish Zelda. I played it. I can echo that it's very good, but I did not finish it. A game that was cool, Super Mario Wonder. Oh, yeah. Great game. We all knew it would be good because it's a Mario game and... You kind of make certain assumptions, but it wasn't guaranteed, I think, to be this good. The new Super Mario Brothers games are a really good time. A great time, in fact, you could say. Yeah. But new Super Mario Brothers U in particular, it's a very tip-top tier platform, one of the very best. But when viewed alongside something as exotic and exciting as Mario Galaxy or Odyssey, for me, the new series has always felt a bit vanilla. It's kind of, it's doing probably the best example of the archetypal run and jump game Mm. you know the image that you would see in a visual dictionary alongside platformer (laughs) but it's just a bit safe when kind of viewed alongside something a bit more madcap like 3d land or 3d world or any of those titles so how nice then for wonder to somehow have been able to extrapolate all the joy and surreal nonsense of the 3d mario games but retain the purity and the readability of the 2d titles amidst all the excitement because every game in the new series has always felt great to play But visually, it's where they just feel maybe a bit plain sometimes. Whereas Wonder is just as pleasingly malleable and springy and elastic in the hand as the new games have always been, but now with visuals that I think much better match the explosive creativity that's long been on show in all the 3D titles. And it's just really beautiful. Like back in the 360 and PS3 era, there felt a very real possibility that properly exciting, family-friendly, bright and colourful games might be sidelined kind of forever Mm. for the beige and brown corridors of like Gears of War and Killzone and Resistance. And in my 20s, I'll be really honest and say that given that projection, I just kind of shrugged. It was a real sort of like, oh, you know, I'm all right, Jack. I'm not fussed because I'm an adult now. And uh, I'm happy that games are growing up because it's a medium that has to get older and grow up. But in my late 30s, I'm now so, so happy that there's still a place for Nintendo's properly kaleidoscopic worlds. It's just such a treat. And you definitely have that kind of curve in your life where it's like, as a child, you want bright and colorful. Then you have a little period where you're like, guns and swearing is where it's at. Love, love swearing and guns. And then yeah, you come out the other yeah. side and you're like, actually, that's pretty shit, isn't it? <laughs> and then you realize that no fun is probably what you want to be doing with your free time. Yeah. And Mario always, always provides that. And Wonder is wonderful. I'm going to talk about just a little handful of indie games in this little oh.
0: bracket here because we've had some really lovely ones. This year, we've also had the usual cavalcade of crap on the Nintendo eShop, giving us thousands of new pages of dross to sift through. But I think this year has probably had like, I don't know, the the indie game releases feel very high profile. Yeah. I mean, I know that we're sort of in an era now where indie game isn't so much a qualifier as it is a genre, (laughs) you know, because... Indie game studios and stuff have got huge budgets and they've often got backings of larger corporations in larger studios, but these games are still being made by small teams, yeah. but they're given the sort of the big prestige advertising campaigns that, you know, you would see something like Mario get. Sea of Stars is one of those games, which oh, seemed to be yeah. all anyone was talking about for months leading up to it. The hype was huge. like I've never seen hype like it for an indie game, to be honest. And rightly so, because it's the long-awaited new game from Sabotage Studios, who made the incredibly brilliant The Messenger, a game whose praises I have sung many times before. Sea of Stars this new game it was teased as being set in the same universe as the messenger but it wasn't to be another action platformer a metroidvania like the messenger instead it was going to be a classic jrpg style adventure in the vein of something like chrono trigger being its closest comparison and quite a deliberate comparison point as well because sabotage they lent pretty fully into that not only by having you know party-based combat and pixel art graphics but it also has the like time-travelling mechanics. It even shares the legendary composer from Chrono Trigger chipping in some tunes on the Sea of Stars soundtrack alongside Rainbow Dragon Eyes, who did the phenomenal soundtrack to The Messenger. Everything this game does, none of it feels massively original. Like, it doesn't reinvent the wheel. It doesn't really do anything new. Although the overworld is refreshingly different to your usual JRPG setup. It's really active, seeing you be able to combine platforming and traversal mechanics to make it more interesting. And the battles all take place on the overworld with the enemies visible to you rather than the more typical JRPG, you know, random encounter setup. which means your adventuring happens at an incredibly slick rate, which I really, really loved, especially because like I went on to play Octopath Traveler 2 straight after it because I sort of had the JRPG bug. And Octopath Traveler 2, which is very much your classic JRPG fare, just felt quite sedentary by comparison because it you know, it was very stop-start. It was sort of long, lengthy cut scenes. And, and it was very, very good. But also, it wasn't as engaging for me, having just played Sea of Stars. It's not as brisk. It's certainly not as brisk. Yeah. And, I mean, one of the things that Sea of Stars does do to sort of make it stand apart from its sort of fairly obvious comparison points is its phenomenal writing. It's it's something that was expected because the writing in The Messenger was amazing it was incredibly well well written it was very witty it had fantastic plot twists it was very subversive and the characters here in *See stars fantastic dialogue is witty and whimsical the overall story has got some amazing emotional gut punches it made me cry it's got plot twists the way it sort of subtly ties into the larger world of the messenger is also really, really nice. It's very, very subtle, but they have now teased that the DLC for the game that's coming out next year is going to be sort of pulling on that thread a lot more to sort of weave it more into the world of the Messenger. Yeah. All in all, it's absolutely brilliant. You won't find a better classic JRPG setup. You'll find ones that are equally as good, but this really, it's, yes, it's a bit stereotypical, but when it's this quality, it becomes more of the archetype than the stereotype. Yeah. Continuing on about indie games, we've we've had a real treat in the last couple of months, me and Chris, because the first two destinations on our Around the World in 80 Games odyssey saw us take two of the best indie games of the year for a spin. Denmark gave us Cocoon, the latest Indeed. game from one of the Indeed. lead developers of Limbo and Inside. Cocoon is a significantly less macabre affair, but is equally as beautiful in its clarity of design and the sheer brilliance of the execution of its puzzle mechanics, seeing you have to keep track of literal worlds within worlds, within worlds, (laughs) within worlds. It's absolutely stunning. Uh, It's available to play on pretty much all platforms. And it's well, well, well worth your time if you like your puzzle games with just a real twist and just stuff that you just wouldn't expect. It's staggering. And last month's destination, South Korea, gave us Dave the Diver, a game that I was gagging to play as soon as I clapped eyes on it earlier in the year. And I was thrilled that it came to the eShop in perfect time to play it for the podcast. As with Cocoon, you don't have to trawl that far back through your podcast feed to listen to our full thoughts on these games. <laughs> Dave the Diver is really brilliant. It combines great hunting and like survival mechanics for its deep sea diving sections and it's got fast-paced, overcooked-style mechanics for its restaurant-running section, mixed in with brilliantly witty dialogue, so many great characters, and just the most amazing amount of mechanics in there. Even after rolling the credits and putting 20 or so hours into the game, I was still unlocking whole new areas of the game to play, and every inch of it is a joy to play. And they've just released, point of recording last week, a free piece of DLC, which is a lovely crossover with the fellow indie fish up Dredge,
1: yeah. which is also
0: on my list of games to play. Yeah, I saw that. I plan on diving, literally, straight into yeah. Dave the Diver to try this out, now that I've knocked the indigo disc on, on its head, and it's <laughs> lying in a fucking pokey grave.
1: In the bin.
0: But still, three absolute top-tier indie games this year. Fantastic.
1: What else, Chris? Something totally different. Takes us right back to the beginning of the year, I think February time. Theat Rhythm Final Barline, dumb name aside, is just a really good rhythm game. And if you like rhythm games like me, it's a really good time. Like, I make the joke every time it comes up, but it's not a lie that this is my favorite Final Fantasy game. Yeah. (laughs) With Chocobo GP a close second. (laughs) Yeah, of course. When Final Barline launched, I was a bit concerned at first how it would feel, given that the first two entries were on the 3DS and they used the resistive touchscreen to tap. Mm. inputs but I needn't have worried because the button and analog controls are arguably probably providing more precision once you're used to the setup. So as soon as you're used to it, it plays really nicely. There is so much music in this game that it is obscene. You know, there was a small window back at the start of the year when I thought, for some reason, I might aim to beat everything in the game. But I very quickly realized that this was like a fool's errand, you know, proper fucking clown car thinking because the, <laughs> the content here is just so ridiculously plentiful. It would have meant that my completed games tally was even more paltry than it ended up being. Yeah. You know, this is the type of game I could have got to the credits. I could have beaten the main story of Rhythm. but because in my head, I was like, well, I'm going to, i'm gonna get the highest rank on every single song i just like ground away at the same chunk to begin with and then once i sort of got bored 30 or 40 hours in it's like oh, i'm never gonna finish that am i <laughs> but anyway it's great it's great props to square enix as well for the post-launch support too you know it's had regular dlc drops i paid into ahead of time like i basically pre-ordered the super deluxe mega edition on the eShop, so it would just appear on my console when it was released mm-hmm. and it's meant that across the year i've just reaped the rewards endlessly and those drops have only recently finished. I think they are done now. But the final song list is like over 500. And on top of the constant trickling of new songs to tap along to, it's also had nice quality of life updates and patches, which meant that the game has been tweaked and refined to ensure that it's as robust in mechanics and back end as it is in set list. You know, for a lesser known Final Fantasy offshoot that not that many people care about, for being totally honest, it's great to see this level of commitment to the game's diehard fans and community. I really love how this whole series makes songs feel like a proper quest or adventure. Yeah. And you've always got like a little team of four characters from a whole range of Final Fantasy games. You're equipping them with a variety of skills or passive upgrades. And then as you are fighting through each song, you've got your little pals kind of having a little barney at the bottom with a variety of Final Fantasy mobs and enemies underneath the note charts. And it's a really small addition. You know, it's really no more than Guitar Hero having a little band play behind the note highway. But it makes the game feel far closer to RPG than it has any right to and I think it's really captured something of the Final Fantasy spirit even though this is just a totally different genre that it's built around music's great everything about it's great it's just a really really solid rhythm game for music game fans and Final Fantasy heads like just top top stuff another little bracket of games that I
0: just want to quickly cover from this year is remakes and remasters yes Obviously, given the technical opportunities offered by the latest hardware generations, it's not surprising that so many developers are revisiting older games to give them very shiny ray traced coats of paint or using it as an opportunity to build an older game again from scratch and realise it in more modern detail. I find it difficult to justify these games in like game of the year conversations, even though they may be some of the best games I've played this year. Yeah. Yeah. And 2023 gave me personally three of those. Firstly, Dead Space, mm. which is a remake of the original Dead Space. <laughs> and actually, yeah. I don't know if this was like a from the ground up remake or not, because it feels exactly the same to play it. But it does look jaw-droppingly good on the PS5 with all of the dark and spooky corners of this tragic spacecraft. It just rendered in immaculately glory, gory, terrifying detail. It was a great time to begin with, and they haven't had to tighten the game up much, to be honest, uh, because of its clarity of vision and the execution of that when it was first made. It holds up incredibly well, and yeah, it was a great experience. And space can be very spooky, very, very spooky. <laughs> Speaking of such things, the Resident Evil 4 remake was also a real highlight of the year.
1: Yeah,
0: The original game holds up. Like mechanically, if not thematically, very well because it does have some truly awful dialogue and narrative choices and its representation of women is horrible. Yeah, (laughs) honestly, yeah. And it's one of the many areas of the game that has been addressed. Fortunately, they have taken a if it ain't broke, don't fix it approach to the game because the core game was already brilliant. It was brilliantly tight and enjoyable on both like a mechanical front and also just in the core design of the game and the way it works and the level design and the weapons and all of that stuff. Having said that, this game has been rebuilt from the ground up, but in the same way that Resident Evil 2 and 3 were before it. Unfortunately, that engine is absolutely superb. Mm -hmm. It plays like the evolution of Resident Evil 4 that we didn't get with 5 and 6. And of course, they've sloshed the most incredibly Brilliant paint job on everything making sure this game looks just a million dollars in every single frame. Just as when I replayed Resident Evil 4 on the Switch a few years ago and when I revisited it in VR on the MetaQuest, the game always delivers an outstanding experience. It is truly one of the best games ever made, and now, yeah, it's even better, thanks to some, you know, nice quality of life upgrades, core improvements and modernization of the controls, and obviously incredible new graphics. It's amazing. It really is amazing. But said like I said, it's, it's difficult to say it's a game of the year because it was the game of 20 <laughs> years ago. <laughs> but speaking of making a masterpiece even better, I didn't think it could be done. But somehow, Metroid Prime has been made even better on the Nintendo Switch with Metroid Prime Remastered. And like an HD trilogy pack of Metroid Prime 1, 2 and 3 has been bandied about the chat rooms. Literally, even before the Switch was a thing. It's Back when wi- Wind Waker it? HD and Twilight Princess HD were out saying, oh, yeah, we'll get a Metro Prime Trilogy HD. Uh, but even in my wildest dreams, I wasn't expecting what we got. Like, I was expecting a fairly bare bones porting job with some HD textures and some modern control improvements, much like the Prime Hack emulation ports that I play through on the Steam Deck this yeah. year. I played through all three games <laughs> and had a great time because they're, they're good games, especially the first one. And the textures were upgraded with HD textures and, you know, dual stick controls implemented. And thankfully, we see a if it ain't broke, don't fix it approach to the core of this game as well, because the core game is absolutely spectacular. But what we did get is the most staggeringly beautiful paint job that made my jaw drop quite fully. Like, I couldn't believe it when I saw the reveal trailer. Honestly, it looked like one of those things where it's like, "Oh, Sonic looks amazing in the Unreal <laughs> Five engine," or, or that sort of thing. Yeah, yeah. But I was doubly amazed when I got the game in my hands, which I think was actually later that day because it dropped on the eShop like immediately. Yeah, the shadow drops, they love them. And it is, without a doubt, the best-looking game on the Switch. And the core game is still one of the greatest games ever made. It is a mind-blowing experience. It is incredible. I really, really hope they follow suit and do a remaster of two and three. But honestly, this is the one I really cared about and I couldn't be happier with it. Again, it could easily be game of the year, same as Resident Evil 4, if it weren't for the fact that it's uh, the game for 20 years ago. (laughs) Of the early 2000s. Yeah, but still, what incredible games, like that they hold up that well with just a few tweaks of modernization, you know, amazing stuff, really amazing stuff. So typically, most of our playtime this year was confined to games that were not released in 2023. Yeah. They may have been new to us in 2023, or they may be games that we just revisited again for a fresh 2023 playthrough, as it was in my case when I immediately started a fresh playthrough of Breath of the Wild. Madman. Following my 220 odd hours in Tears of the Kingdom. Absolute madman. Clearly, 200. 20 hours wasn't enough for me. I wanted more and more I had. And the really nice thing was that it allowed me to play Breath of the Wild in master mode for the first time. I'd poured over every inch of the DLC when it was released in the succeeding months following Breath of the Wild's original release. But the one thing I wasn't prepared to do at that point was play an entirely new, fresh playthrough of the game, having spent hundreds of hours completing it. And at the time, I didn't really consider what a playthrough in master mode would really be like. I knew it would be harder, sure, but beyond that, I didn't really see the appeal of doing it. It's something that began to, like, I don't know, just percolate in my brain as I reached the end of my time with Tears of the Kingdom. And almost in reaction to the endless creative possibilities in that game, I started to think of the appeal of, it's ridiculous calling Breath of the Wild this, but think of the appeal of a smaller, stripped-down Zelda affair.
1: (laughs) A limited tool
0: set. Yeah, and, like, the idea of returning to the high rule of Breath of the Wild with it's still enormous world existing on just one more manageable plane and it's more basic (laughs) abilities with only probably about a billion creative possibilities as opposed to the trillions in Tears of the Kingdom, it all started seeming quite enticing. And the idea of taking on master mode with its vastly increased difficulty started to feel very attractive because I knew that I would have to take the game at a much more slower pace, really carefully considering all of the different moments with quiet strategic patience and as soon as I started playing it I knew I was in it for the long haul again because it's phenomenal just how much it changes the way you play the game and like the tension generated by these new power dynamics is palpable like it never goes away either because the challenges ramp up as you go and then well then you can take on the DLC content in master mode which was already a hefty challenge but now was I mean, almost insurmountable, especially the Trial of the Sword survival challenge, which sees you stripped of all your weapons and your armor and your items and your abilities. And you just have to play through increasingly challenging floors of enemies without dying at any point. Or you reset and start again. It took a lot of perseverance, but I did eventually make it through powering up my Master Sword to its full power and using that power to plow through the other DLC, the Champion's Ballad which was still no mean feat. And then I unlocked the master cycle, the motorbike that allows you to yeah. ride around Hyrule uh, yeah. with incredible speed and fury. And the entire adventure just took on a whole new life of its own, like quite different to what I experienced in my first playthrough of Breath of the Wild. Also very, very different to what I played through in Tears of the Kingdom. And it was uh, just a fucking incredible time. Like I said on the pod back when I was playing it, but to anyone who thought that just because Tears of the Kingdom builds, iterates and improves on nearly every aspect of Breath of the Wild that Breath of the Wild is somehow now a redundant game, you could not be more mistaken. Yes, I mean, Tears of the Kingdom is a better game, but Breath of the Wild offers a significantly different experience that still makes it very, very worth your time. I put 95 hours into it. That's that's mad on its own. I, I beat all the shrines and all the DLC there's only a handful of the shrines that a bit of a pain, which are the ones that you have to use the gyroscope for, because let's not forget this was a switch launch title yeah. and it was still sort of, you know, showing off some of the technical capabilities of the console, but everything else in the game was absolutely incredible. And I think to top it all off, like it really says a lot that I've sort of bookended. I mean, cause we're on the verge of a switch too. There's not going to be many more big games I'm going to be playing on the switch likely to come now. And bookending you know, my Switch playtime with Breath of the Wild, first game I played and one of the last games I will have played. It's amazing to look at what gaming happened in between then because I discovered Dark Souls in that time. Yeah, yeah. Played through all of those, Bloodborne, Sekiro, Elden Ring, like that's what's defining me as a gamer now. And the fact that I got to revisit Breath of the Wild, almost play it like a Souls-like, I just think is an incredible testament to the game and, you know, its malleability and its legacy
1: it's incredible what old games did you play old man i want to talk about a game called Xo1. it is a game that i picked up in the semi-recent steam sale like a month or so back after having had it sat on my wish list for a decent chunk of time and when i finally sat down to actually play it it was a proper oh my goodness sort of afternoon evening like i remember way back seeing some sort of little videos on twitter i think of the game spacecraft kind of skipping over some sand dunes and thinking oh yeah that looks quite fun and i put it on my wishlist then and then just kind of forgot about it you know my steam wishlist is humongous i just Mm. anytime i see an interesting thing it's like oh i will probably be cheap one day so it all just goes on in this pile of thousands of games but when i did see it again i was like oh i'll give it a proper go and a few weekends back i booted it up on the deck i sat back and was just genuinely blown away by my first playthrough (laughs) in a way i haven't been with a game for a long time it's been a while since I could honestly describe a game as being awe-inspiring. And I've played games that I've loved. I've played games that I've been properly addicted to. Another old one I'll, I'll mention soon. But they didn't make me feel like XO one did. And the elevator pitch, if you need to be sold on this game, if you liked the overall vibe of Journey or Abzu, if you liked the more quiet kind of exploratory moments of No Man's Sky, if you liked the traversal of Insomniac Spider-Man games or the flow state you get with a good Tony Hawk's run, or even the imagery and light work of VR games like Thumper or Tetris Effect, you will be all over this. It's unreal. You, you navigate a strange spacecraft through a series of semi-procedural alien landscapes. You're unraveling a narrative that surrounds alien communication and human purpose and perseverance and regret, like all big, heavy stuff. But the main thing you're doing is just mastering an incredibly simple physics-based movement system that has you either increase in gravity down slopes to gain speed in your little craft, or reducing gravity to launch off peaks and over valleys like an alien version of the old iOS game Tiny Wings. Do you remember that? Yeah, 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 yeah. No, and I thought exactly that. Yeah, yeah. Like yeah. XO One. The whole game takes about three or so hours for a full playthrough, and I did the whole thing in one sitting, mouth agape, audibly gasping, and basically slapping my <laughs> cheeks every few minutes. I haven't used this term in quite a long time, but this is a patented Christelle sense of place game, <laughs> with <laughs> every single stage feeling like its own character. Some are welcoming, some are desolate, some are murky and oppressive, some are claustrophobic, some are freeing. A few stages in, you reach a water level which just blew my head off like doom shotgun style, <laughs> like just didn't know what to do. Your your craft is like skimming over the surface of the water like a stone that's being shot across the ocean at ultrasonic speed, which in and of itself is an experience reminiscent of like proper childhood joy of being at the beach with your dad and skimming stones and everything else. But within that same stage, you're also able to sink Seemingly endlessly into the sea until your vision is so obscured by the weight of the water that it feels like you can't breathe. And then when it gets too much, you can disengage the craft's gravity drive and use your momentum to shoot out of the water, miles up into the sky, up over the clouds. It's just such a cavalcade of emotions. And as the stage progresses, you've got comets and space debris raining down onto the surface of the water. You're ramping off the splashes back up and into the sky and the clouds. It's it's mind-blowing. It's absolutely mind-blowing. The sound design is bananas. Like, I was reminded most of the the audio design in Jordan Peele's Nope, as your craft is, like, tearing across the landscape. But it's, like, the ambient weather sounds, and it's got subtle kind of post-rock soundtrack in the background that makes this just the full package. The visuals are quite simple, but deploy post-processing so well that the atmosphere is just, <laughs> like, <laughs> chef's kiss stuff. It is, it is amazing. What this game does, to me at least, I think is the polar opposite of Tetris Effect. And that's in a good way because you want a range of experiences. Mm. But whenever I stick Tetris on in VR, on a handheld, on the big screen, the combo of music and visuals and Tetris gameplay makes me feel a sort of utopian hope. You know, the the game's message of Tetris effect seems to come from the early 2000s when internet connectivity could only seem like a net good. Mm. And those immortal lines from the first stage, it's all connected. It speaks to this like collective human consciousness, which makes something like Tetris so immediately recognizable to the majority of the world's populace. Mm. We're all somewhere, someplace, elsewhere, all unique, but we share enough that if you shout loud enough, there's always going to be someone who will shout back. And that's what Tetris makes me feel like, that it's like something that we all have some connection to, and therefore there's always someone to kind of pick you up and, and make sure you're okay. xo one on the other hand, though, seems to revel in presenting occasionally similar imagery to that of Tetris. So you've got like celestial outcrops or ocean expanses, but with a core message of just outright isolation. Mm. And the possibility of connection does exist in this world because it's basically driving the whole narrative, but it relies on total leaps of faith of latching onto kind of the distant tendrils of whispered messages. And in Tetris effect, your efforts feel gargantuan. You're the star of the show. You're conducting these light shows around you with careful play. But in XO one you're reminded time and time again that you are just a speck on the surface of these vast planets and they are the focus, not you you know the the landscapes are permanent but you're just a temporary little blip that is skimming along until you're not Mm. (laughs) like i I won't spoil anything else but if you've got half decent pc if you've got steam deck which is where i played it if you've got an xbox just go and play it it's been due to come to the playstation for two years now and hasn't materialized so it could be that that's just not going to happen but i really want to recommend this game very very highly and we won't have time to do it today because this episode is going to be 12 years long but (laughs) I want to propose we do like a top 100 update episode at some point next year. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Easter time. For Jesus, yeah. Because X01 is absolutely on there for me. It's got to be on there somewhere.
0: And speaking of which, a game that would definitely be on my top 100 list, extraordinarily high up, is probably my biggest gaming highlight of 2023, outside of Tears of the Kingdom, and that was Eterno Noctis. Oh, you like that one. An indie Metroidvania Souls-like. It was made for me. It was originally released in December 2021. I'm really glad that I didn't play it then when it was first released, because apparently it released with a fair few bugs and performance issues. But I had the absolute joy of playing it in what feels like its final form, which it performs beautifully, perfectly. You never know that yeah. there are any issues with it. And it blew me away to the point of bafflement. <laughs> like, I was told it was a great Metroidvania that rivaled Hollow Knight for 2D combat and platforming, but I knew that would be hyperbole. But it wasn't. <laughs> <laughs> and this raises the bar for all metroidvanias for me it's one of the most challenging games i've ever played but also it's one of the most readable and rewarding it's never frustrating it is often maddening but that was only in my own annoyance at my lack of ability but honestly like the payoffs you get not just in terms of the rewards and the upgrades that allow you to develop and level up and, and build your character to make your traverse on combat more fluid and enjoyable. Yeah, that's great for getting that stuff when you beat something incredibly hard, but the sheer level of satisfaction you get is second to none. It's got incredible art style. It's got this amazing aesthetic design. The music is phenomenal. The platforming is better than any other platforming game I've played. The combat is better than any other 2D game I've played. The game is fucking huge. Every time I thought I was in like an end game zone, something else would come along and supersede it. Every area has got intrigue and challenge. It really sort of teased your sense of adventure. I just couldn't believe what I was playing, like because no one else, it seemed, aside from me and Casper, seemed to be, didn't even, <laughs> haven't even heard of it, or let alone were playing it, or preaching of its mastery of the genre and the medium. I just can't believe that no one's playing it, that not everyone's talking about it. It deserves to be talked about in the same breath as Hollow Knight and Ori and the Blind Forest and all of the best Metroidvanias. And yeah, like I just can't recommend it highly enough. Do not play the Switch version. <laughs> that's it ps5 version is where i played it because i started it on the steam deck but i felt like i wanted to play it just a bit bigger but i'm very very tempted to do a second playthrough on the steam deck now because yeah it's made for the oled it's stunning oh what
1: a game this next one between us we've probably spoken for two or three hours each about this game so i'm not going to bore anyone here rehashing the same thing again vampire survivors is a 10 out of 10 oh, game yeah and oh, yeah. it's quite literally spawned an entire subgenre since its release yeah. back in 2022. The PC original is great. The console versions are great. The Switch version is mind-blowing achievement that it's even running. The mobile version is great. It's still getting massive updates and DLC packs almost monthly. I'm currently stockpiling content that so I can have a massive binge in the new year when school begins to yeah. ramp up again. And I need a salve for my brain because that's really what it was offering back when I was playing this regularly. There was a winter update recently with new characters, items, and stages. There was an adventures update that changes the core focus of each run to be more mission-based. There's just been an Among Us crossover for some reason, for better or worse, (laughs) that again adds more and more to do. It is a game that costs pennies, but will reward you endlessly, like a genuine all-timer. It is absolutely on, on my list. And that's it. Should we talk about the Playdate? Oh, the plucky little handheld. We oh, yeah. love it. We finished our
0: coverage of the first season of the Playdate games and we're wondering where where it left us with the little yellow console. Where would it fit into our lives and our, you know, our gaming activity now going forward? The wonderful answer is anywhere and everywhere. And yeah. now the wonderful little thing boasts a library of over 100 games available just on the device alone through the brilliant implementation of the catalogue. And there's hundreds of games now available independently through itch.io that can be very quickly and easily sideloaded too. And yeah, we just wanted to chat a little bit about some of the best catalog games that are now available on Playdate and the ones we've enjoyed most this year. And Core Fault is the game that captured my imagination mm. at the beginning of the year, thanks to the it's a good one. brilliant developer diaries that the developer Squid God made, who definitely Chronicles the highs and lows of the development of each of his games, giving you a rare insight into the inner workings of what it really takes to bring a game to completion. It turns out the real challenge isn't writing good characters, coming up with cool mechanics, or even making a great title screen. It's just getting ladders to work. (laughs) Ladders there aren't in Core Fault, but what there is at the center is an ambition to essentially make Vampire Survivors on the play date. Do they manage to do it? Yes. But with the help of fellow developer Dave Makes of Mixalumia fame, uh, together they create exactly what they set out to do. But finding out all of the hurdles they had to overcome in bringing their vision to reality really makes you appreciate what they've done to a, you know, a really huge amount. The game is really good fun. Although my second playthrough did highlight some of the weaknesses in the game's overall balance. But that satisfying gameplay loop that Vampire Survivors does so well is very, very present here and is concentrated into uh, like a bite-sized experience that still gives you that dopamine drip feed. (laughs) And it's just really, really good fun. And I'd love to see a sequel at some point. Like it feels now that developers are really starting to eke out the potential of the play date. Like some of the games that are coming out now are just technically ridiculous. Getting the play date to do what, what it's doing. And I would really love to see Squid God and Dave makes return to Core Fault. And maybe, you know, I, I don't I don't know what these tricks are that people are doing to essentially make Rocket League on the play date, but <laughs> I'm sure they do. I'm sure they know what, what they are and they could implement some of these things and start to sort of unlock the true power of the play date. And a, a Core Fault 2 could utilize some of those brilliantly and make something even bigger and better. But yeah, it's a very, very good game. I, I definitely. Definitely recommend it. And also P-Racing, that that game that I alluded to there, is a, a very good game available on the catalogue. Just a full 3D racing game that also has
1: Rocket League in it. Why not? It's got like an open world mission mode as well. It's just yeah, like drive Stupid, stupid game. It's really good. I really love the play date. When season one wound down, when we finished talking about all those games on the podcast for, for our own season we were kind of thinking out loud as to what games would come next from the console's ragtag bag of indie developers. And as much as I thought I wanted more big stuff like Saturday edition, it's become more and more clear that mostly I was just desperate for games like the two I'm going to mention today that could be pockets mainstays for train trips for the foreseeable future. Mm. And the first one I want to talk about, we've mentioned quite a few times across our newsletter, across episodes is Medial. Mm, Yeah, It is a brilliant logic puzzle. You get a five by five grid. In each row, you're trying to fit a triangle, a circle and a square. No line, either horizontally or vertically, can include two of the same shape. And that is it. And yet in a hundred or so stages that I have played through, the game has never become stale. And there are hundreds more to play through. But mm-hmm. the way it uses hints feels really, really fresh. Because instead of just saying a kind of a number system like Picross uses, it uses these medial clues, which will tell you, which shape ought to sit in the middle of the three in any particular line. And having that information coupled with a few other symbols that let you know where shapes must or must not be, it seems to be able to produce near limitless variations of puzzle. Some that are really tough, that you have to really, really work at and kind of cancel things out in your head. Some that are a bit more breezy and easy to kind of work out. But it is as good as any logic puzzle I've played. And it's let down only the slightest bit by a tiny lack of polish. It's not on the catalog yet, but it is on itch.io. It's a few dollars. It's probably going to be on sale over Christmas as well. If you have a play date, please check it out. It's a big, big recommendation. I know from both of us, it's a good, good time. Very, very good game. Another play date game I really enjoyed
0: is a real little oddity of a game that I absolutely loved, mostly for just how strange and obtuse its sense of humour was. And that is a game called Stars of the Screen. Oh, I've not played it yet. And it's essentially, I guess it's very difficult to sort of describe. I guess I'd say it was a puzzle sandbox game. based around the classic PC screensavers of the 90s, (laughs) hence the stars of the screen screensaver. Yeah, yeah. How exactly does it sort of do this? I don't know, really. Uh, It's so difficult to explain. Like, you'll be spawned into, essentially, a screensaver, and pressing a button or turning the crank will cause it to do something, maybe, but you just need to play around and manipulate it a little bit to get to reach a point where it will then, I don't know, like peak (laughs) (laughs) and then you'll transition to another screensaver. But it's the way the game really subverts itself that made me smile the most. There's always a way to interact with it, like even in the menus or in the transitions or when you think you're doing something else, it's really doing something different. There's always seems to be like some other secret to wheedle out there's probably a whole bunch of stuff that i didn't find but i just really enjoyed seeing what would come next or seeing what would happen if i did this and so many times i'd be rewarded for me it's the ultimate toilet game <laughs> yeah it allows you to sort of reach a very sort of zoned out hypnotic state whilst you allow your body to do whatever it is it needs to do yeah and yeah, I really recommend it. It's been a real joy of a little game that I found. It just couldn't exist anywhere else other than the Playdate. It's brilliant.
1: Following on from Medial is a game that is so polished, it may as well have a diamond sheen because <laughs> Sparrow Solitaire is my pick for Playdate Game of the Year, I think. Oh, yeah. It's Ma Young, but it's the most beautiful Ma Young you've ever seen. And when I uploaded some footage of it to TikTok, someone sarcastically commented, I'm not spending $200 to play Ma Young, but for me... Probably would have been worth it. Yeah, (laughs) (laughs) Like when we were focusing on the Playnet Weekly, I feel like we were always looking for every pair of games to do something to kind of stand out, to make their mark or carve their niche. Mm. But the games I've spent probably the ensuing time curating on my device have been games like Quandino, which is a recent Tetris game that's overtaken Rainblocks as the best on the machine. Or Smolitaire, which is the console's best suite of card games, or Soko, which is just a simple Sokoban implementation, or Medial, or, or Sparrow Solitaire or SketchShare Solve. Like I think Sparrow Solitaire is probably the best puzzle game on the machine. Like it is available on the catalogue. Despite being one of the more pricey offerings at $10, I think, as an effective time killer ever ready in your pocket, it's been priceless. It really was. Like I mentioned it way, way back when, when I was moderating my GCE exam. There was a lot of time I just had to sit in the room and look after the work because the exam board believes that someone might come in and steal it or do it for the children when they're not present. <laughs> but I was just sat there and thinking, well, I'll just do a few rounds of Sparrow Hotel then if I've got half an hour. And I loved it. I loved it. There must be some games, some 2023 releases that
0: we still need to play. Yeah, yeah. There's games that I've started at things like Diablo 4 I Need to Finish, Baldur's Gate 3. Which has been, you know, sort of lapping up a lot of Game of the Year awards. Ghost Runner Two, XO One. I need to finish. I've started playing that, and yeah. it's extraordinary. I need to finish playing that. I really want to play Alan Wake Two. I've also got Mortal Kombat One that I've made a start on. I always seem to find my way to playing the Mortal Kombat games, even though I don't like beat 'em up games. I just love Mortal Kombat. They're a lot of fun. How about you? What apart
1: from Tears of the Kingdom? Oh, the list is so big, like. It's always big because outside of, I think, Zelda that I did play, I just didn't finish, Mario Wonder and a few standout kind of big indie games like Cocoon, I didn't play anything that was particularly yeah. kind of like contemporaneous to this year. Bomb Rush Cyberfunk came out and it's like a spiritual successor to Jet Set Radio. Oh, yeah. And even though Jet Set Radio has never been my favorite extreme sports game, it's a Sega classic. You know a lot of people said, Oh, it's the most Dreamcast game of the year, and that made me sit up and go, Oh, I'll put it on the Steam wish list, and they just never got around to it. Yeah, I know I've got to play more Tears of the Kingdom. You, you've mentioned it so many times. I loved every minute that I did play of it, mm. but I just fell off like I always do with big games. It's a wider problem I've had for years and years that like I get this very particular fear of missing out on other things. You know, if I'm enjoying an experience that I know is going to take me a long time, another chunk of me is always going. Well, I'm worried that a minute spent here is a minute not spent somewhere else. And it's like an eternal yeah. grass is greener thing. So, you know, as much as I loved the 30, 40 hours I played of it, the weird rat part of my brain was constantly going, yeah, well, that's 30 or 40 hours. You're going to spend amongst 100 other things. And I just don't know how to break that. The one I, I genuinely did want to play, but I'm holding out for a physical release in the new year. Very crisp title was Digital Eclipse's The Making of Karataka. Digital Eclipse are nowadays a team who have made a huge name for themselves as the like, de facto go-to teams for retro compilations and collections. Like They did the Cowabunga collection for Turtles. They did the Atari 50th anniversary collection in the last couple of years alone. And Karataka is the game designed and developed by Jordan Mechner prior to Prince of Persia. So it's got a strong ah. lineage. And they've basically, Digital Clips, been doubling down on their mission to make retro compilations essentially be closer to playable digital coffee table books. That's
0: amazing. So
1: Atari 50, for example, has a wealth of supplementary materials and interviews and facts and documentary clips alongside a tremendous wealth of playable games. And they're all accessible through interactive timelines. So you can say, oh, well, that was happening in the world. And then this game released, and then this happened to Atari afterwards. And it's a a really interesting way of being presented with old stuff.
0: Yeah, that sounds incredible. Because
1: otherwise, if you're just dipping in and out of like a list of ROMs in an emulator, you don't have any context for what is happening around them. You know, you might read a little segment about a particular game, watch a clip of the original developer talking about its Genesis. And then one click later, you're having a go yourself and you get a proper feeling for what they were doing. Karataka represents a slightly different direction well not completely different per se but it's even more focused so this lets you see almost every facet of the development of the 1984 game it lets you play all the playable prototypes it lets you see interviews initial design documentation just the works and it's a game that I know limited run are doing physical copy at some point next year and to be honest that's the only reason I've held off playing it to date because I think I'd be all about seeing that kind of timeline of stuff and really getting a feel for how this is made and why and why it was the way it was at the time So yeah, looking forward to obviously playing it eventually, but also seeing what Digital Eclipse do next. I think there's rumours at the moment that they're putting a collection together of Jeff Minter stuff. So that's like TXK that I have on my list and Tempest and all these kind of old arcade games and, and modern reworks of that kind of style. And I think that'd be a fantastic thing to kind of, thumb through in a digital sense as well when that eventually comes out at some point in the future. Before
0: we award our official Game of the Year awards, which you've probably already guessed what, what yeah, they're going to be, it's pretty easy. let's quickly look ahead to next year, 2024. What stuff are we looking forward to and what stuff do we hope is going to happen? Weirdly, there's not that many things that are nailed on releases that I know are coming that I'm really looking forward to. Insomniac have said that their Wolverine game is going to be 2025. I'm always more than happy for games to take longer than... I want, because they will be better. But we've apparently got the Elden Ring DLC coming in February. That's the the current rumour in the rumour mill, but it will definitely be coming at some point next year, and I I cannot wait. A game that I'm definitely looking forward to is Prince of Persia The Lost Crown, which is a fast-paced action Metroidvania set in the Prince of Persia world. It looks absolutely amazing. It's made by the team that made the Rayman Legends game and Rayman Origins, so it's got fantastic pedigree. I think it could be something really fantastic, and it's a January release. I'm also looking forward to the third part in the Cat Quest trilogy uh, game that that you got me into. You bought it for me for Christmas about two or three years ago, and uh, Cat Quest 3, it's something like Pirates of the Cow... capra b be, be, per so, being or something. Really, I don't know it's they're got really pushing twist the boundaries aren't
1: they? Pushing the boundaries. They're they're, really, cat they're,
0: they're trying hard. They're yeah. trying hard. And hopefully fantasy life i. Oh, I forgot that was even a thing. Because they did a little coverage of it recently on like the latest like level 5 is what's coming soon thing and I started to get quite excited about it. Mm. There's more Nintendo remakes coming. Mario versus Donkey Kong, which was a really good yeah. Game Boy Advance game. Yeah. Paper Mario 1000-year door. Again, really good game neither game I, I think will really benefit from an hd paint job it's like super mario rpg is why i haven't leapt at getting that because i don't think it's going to feel massively different to play even yeah. though
1: it will look nicer i suppose the benefit is just that it's more accessible that's true you know, more people can play it because not everyone has a gamecube knocking about or wants to mess around with with emulation yeah for like thousand year door or something like that i don't think we're going to get metroid prime 4 no i don't I don't know if Hollow Knight's Silk Song is finally going to come out
0: next year. It feels like it should, but then it also felt like it should come out this last year. I don't know. I don't know. How about you? What stuff is, is nailed on coming out next year that you've got your eye on?
1: I'm quite keen to play a new Earth Defense Force. Oh yeah, you know, it's a series I really like. It's really fascinating that it is now almost an annualized franchise. Mm. You know, once upon a time it was a bargain basement PS2 game, and these days you get a new numbered entry most years. Like I can't claim mm. to have kept up. But it's exciting to know that next year we're actually getting two EDF games. You've got the numbered sequel, Earth Defense Force 6, and then you've got the first sequel to the blocky Voxel spin-off, Earth Defense Force World Brothers as well. So I'll probably play one of those in some capacity. There's a new Test Drive Unlimited game that I've recently heard about after yeah. playing the first one for a bit on the Steam Deck, just out of nowhere. That's quite exciting. You know, it's its first sequel in almost 15 years. Yeah, It might be a game I pick up on the PS5s. I don't think it's going to run spectacularly well on the Deck, but we'll see. It's being developed this time by a team called KT Racing and not Eden Games who did the, the original duology back in the noughties and early 2010s. But it could be good. It could just be a Forza Horizon ripoff. Don't know really. Luigi's Mansion 2 is another one getting a remake. Yeah. I don't really know what the point is. Like if anything, I want to see Luigi's Mansion 3 backported to the 3DS. <laughs> to- <laughs> yeah. To make use of the stereoscopic screen. Yeah. You know, where is my three D pocket edition of Mansion 3? Bloody cowards i know right but seriously it's a really good game if more people get to experience it 3d or otherwise that is a net win and the last thing i was not even aware this was a, a game that was coming out but you've uh, mentioned it in our notes there is a, a semi-sequel to thumper yes called thrasher yes that i've just been watching footage in the background which is another vr first rhythm action thing yeah you know thumper they called rhythm violence this looks like it could be basically down that same road if it comes out for the the PSVR 2, I'll buy a headset. I know you will. I know you will. That'll be the one that does it. You know It really will, because Thumper is, is astonishing. And I, well, if this does half as much, it, it could be a great, great title. So we'll see on that one. Yeah. Thrasher. Do you think we're going to get the Switch 2 next year? Uh, it seems all but confirmed. Yeah, late holiday. I think if we do, it'll be yeah. kind of November time next year.
0: It's not going to release as an OLED, and that disappoints me. Yeah. It, it, there's no way it will. There's no, no way it will. I mean, it's not going to change me buying one. Mm. It might mean that I play more of it docked than handheld. We'll see. Probably won't though, but I just really hope they nail it. I really hope they nail it. I hope that it's simultaneously delivers what everyone's crying out for, which is like, obviously a lot more sort of technical grunt, but also doesn't ignore the fact that they're Nintendo and they're going to want to subvert something and go, you thought you would want this, but what about this? But not too much, because I don't really care about the fact that the controller's come off or yeah. the fact that it's got gyroscopes or the, the fact that I can put one of the controllers to my forehead and it knows what my heart rate
1: is. Or Why whatever.
0: Not?
1: It's the best feature. <laughs> it's one of them. I think it's going to be interesting to see what they do in terms of backwards compatibility. Yeah. It doesn't affect a lot of people. You know, I, I've got a big physical Switch collection, but lots of people are not going to be bothered. It's just, you know, now there's two things under the TV. If want to play both. Yeah, no big deal. But I think the biggest thing that's going to, stop this being a potential success is if they stick with the same cartridge format they've been using they're always going to come up against storage constraints yeah and if they want bigger games if the idea is to have a more powerful console that can kind of better match current gen machines it's not going to happen as long as we're limited to 32 gig cartridges it just won't yeah. happen so the only solution i can see is if they say there is a switch cartridge slot and there's also a different type of media that is gonna you know in the same way like that, they did with the, the ds yeah exactly with the the gba slot so they've got form but it'll be interesting to see what actually happens there because there's been such a big cottage industry around physical releases for the switch Mm. and i think a lot of people would feel quite burned if they suddenly couldn't access that library going forwards i certainly would yeah you know i would deal with it but i would be upset
0: what is your biggest hope and
1: wish for 2024 gaming wise if the switch 2 came out and it had a Mario Odyssey successor. Super Mario Iliad. The, the, as you've often called it. <laughs> I think I think it should be. And I think that would make me feel good. Mm. <laughs> you know, one of the last times I think there was only good in my whole mind was the, the kind of month I was playing Super Mario Odyssey. That's fair enough. Anytime anything bad happened in the day, it was like, why would it matter? Because on the train home, I'm going to be playing Odyssey. Yeah. <laughs> so if, if we can recapture that kind of halcyon time, it will automatically be one of the best gaming years of all time so i'm holding out hope for that Do you know what i really hope i'm
0: hoping for a surprise launch title for switch 2 which is a brand new 2d zelda game
1: oh which i think is the
0: only thing that could conceivably been developed alongside tears of the kingdom because it requires such different set up in terms of dev teams and also because i've been playing through a link between worlds on 3ds which is now 10 years old silly i would love to see a third part in the link to the past trilogy released as a launch title on the switch to it would be extraordinary
1: well you heard it here first listeners of the year oh it's easy isn't it tears of the kingdom even the ones I didn't finish or play tears of the kingdom by a country mile best indie game you finished more stuff than me but yeah the way you spoke about Dave the Diver I don't know if we can give it to anything else it's so good it seems like it's it really so good. Yeah, so much of what I, I know I would enjoy I just need to have yeah. the, the window of time to give it a blast it's amazing indie game of the year Dave the Diver happy days best play date game
0: it's a toughie it's definitely between Medial or Sparrow Solitaire I think I fully
1: agree it's gotta be Sparrow Solitaire. Hasn't yeah, it? it's I think
0: extraordinary. So.
1: I think so. And and if nothing else, because last year I mentioned Fish and Feathers being up in consideration. This is the game they made next. You know, the developer of that yeah. amazing high score arcade game made Sparrow Solitaire. I love it even more. So it's nice to give the nod. It's a wonderful game. It is the playdate game of the year. Good job boys, make some more great games.
0: So there we go, that is our end of 2023 special. We hope that you had a fantastic festive season. Hope you all had a lovely break, managed to play some games, managed to find some rest, relaxation, recuperation, and managed to spread love and kindness to your friends and family. We're gonna be back next month with our third entry in our Around the World in 80 Games series. We're going to the Netherlands. It's gonna be great, I cannot wait. In the meantime, do follow us on social media at o 3 everything. Go to o3c.games where you can do loads of things. You can watch videos, you can listen to old episodes, you can read our articles, but you can also sign up for the newsletter and join the Discord. We'd very much love to see you on both of those things. Happy New Year, everybody. Let's see what this year has in store.
1: Happy New Year, everyone.